Welcome to the program. Today we are celebrating our veterans for Veterans Day. And one of the guests we currently have is Mrs. Cornejo. So, Mrs. Cornejo, or should I say Sergeant Cornejo, will you tell us a little bit about uh, what which branch of the armed services that you serve in, how long you've served, and maybe if you're willing, why you decided to join the armed services and serve our country in this way. Okay, well, I've been in the military, I'm in the Air Force, so the greatest fighter firepower is the Air Force. We do a lot of air, like you saw in the slideshow. I've been in for 24 years. And um, I chose to go in it because when I was 11 years old, I saw a commercial about some people jumping off the airplane, and I said, I want to be in uniform forever. And that's what, that's what, that's what happened. Wow, 24 years. Now, tell us a little bit more, because we don't understand the Armed Force. Why do you say the Air Force has the most firepower because I know I know a little there's some rivalry friendly competition between the different branches and I'm sure they all think they're pretty tough so what makes you say you, you have the greatest firepower I mean come on you gotta help us a little bit here well so you have the marine the marine is the bravest soldier they go to boot camp for the longest time and they are trained with every type of weapon possible to fight our war then you have the navy they are trained to be in the boat and to fight from the sea. So we have a lot of carriers right now in the near Korea. You guys probably heard what's going on over there. So they're so they're ready to go. Then you have the army, who's your biggest ground soldier. So the army and the air force works together. Coast Guard is huge in the east and the west coast. You don't see many Coast Guard here because we don't really have a body of water that would be able to help them train. Then you have the Air Force. We are the, we have the strongest um, fleet of aircraft carriers. We have bombers. We have um, huge aircraft that literally can put, think about um, a huge SUV. I've been in a C-10 where you could put five SUVs that's how big this air power is. I mean, it is huge. And then when, when we take off in the C-5, it's so heavy, it takes about a good two minutes just to get off the air. And so we are able to, in the drop of a dime, if somebody needs to be airlifted from a war zone or any part of the country, the world, our air power has what we would call mobile, um, air mobile hospitals. So you literally have a hospital in the air saving lives. We do have the biggest fleet of aircraft that can do anything possible. We can set up a base within 24 hours if anybody were to need anything. We have hospitals in the air and we do nuclear power and we do air power and we do bombing power. Okay, so you guys remember when with Discovery Time we were working on building airships? And the whole point is it's possible that we're going to bring back airships because more and more companies are starting to go out into farther and farther, more remote areas where there aren't any roads, you know, there aren't any shipping lanes to get there. 
And so these giant airships can carry a large amount of very heavy equipment and drop them down. So the Air Force can do that. And the C-5 is the largest cargo plane. It was so, so this is, I always thought was kind of a funny fact about it. It can carry the heaviest stuff. So you said, how many SUVs? Well, about five. And then yeah. that's not including the cargo. Right. The amount of cargo that can go in, these air, in this aircraft. So the plane actually, the nose lifts mm -hmm. up. And there was, when they built it, there was so much data collected and plans drawn that they actually had to put all the plans on that plane mm -hmm. because there was just so much done. It's a very, very powerful vehicle that can really, and like Ms. Cornejo is saying, just think about that. So if there is a need where you have to project power into a foreign country, okay, so the Air Force is responsible for picking up all of those resources and dropping them there. So without the Air Force... Really, nothing can be done. I mean, the Navy's great because you can park them up along the coast and you can land people and push in, right? But another way to do it is to go over and drop. So tell us a little bit about, you said you saw somebody jumping out of an airplane. So was it you were excited? Was it the excitement? Was the, Are you a thrill seeker? Like, are you like, I can do this. I want to do this. You could have done a lot of other thrills besides serve your country. There's got to be a little bit more to it besides the thrill part. You know, it was all about serving. I felt as an 11-year-old, most of you guys are 10, 9 years old, I just knew at that time, I'm like, how cool would that be to be able to help people on a large platform and to be able to wear a uniform where it's somewhat respected, and then you help people. I just thought that was amazing. So when I got in, my first job, I was a dental hygienist in the military. Yes, they do exist. We clean teeth. But the coolest part about that was when they asked us to do a humanitarian assignment in where were we? Paraguay. Hmm. And I will never forget, they took us up on this army helicopter. And they're, I mean, you're talking about, and I was Spanish speaking, so I translated for all of our um, Paraguay army and Air Force. We worked together. And they said, okay, we got to go to this mountaintop village, and you guys are going to help and provide and give dental treatment to over 500 people that have been waiting for you for two weeks on the top of that mountain. And at that point, I was like, oh my gosh. So we get there, this Black Hawk drops us off. Literally, it stops for a minute. We get all of our equipment off of the Black Hawk, and we just start seeing patients one after the other after the other. These little kids didn't have shoes, clothes. So when I did that mission for the first time, I said, I'm in the right place because these kids haven't had any treatment. They haven't never seen a dentist in their entire life, and they were older than you guys. So that's what we did, and this was in a different part of the world. So, so I absolutely loved that. So do you understand that part about the armed forces don't just project power? It's not just about force and fighting. It's also generally about so Mrs. Cornejo was actually able to go to a remote area where people didn't have the health services that we take for granted. So basically, if you don't get, for example, your teeth clean, they will rot. And I had students at my school that were coming out of refugee camps, and all of their teeth were rotting. And that makes them susceptible to infection, which makes you sick all the time, you're weak all the time. It can actually lead to a lot of harm. And so Mrs. Cornejo is saying, I got to serve. I got to bring resources to bear to people 
that didn't have any resources, which is pretty <coughs> cool. Okay, now, Mrs. Cornejo, I have to ask, because besides um, Mrs. Wade, I think you were the only woman among all those guys. Will you tell us a little bit about what it's meant to be a woman in the military? Can I ask um, that? Is that absolutely okay? Absolutely, yeah. no. It's, it, it has been difficult at times because you are in a room full of men making big decisions. So you have all your commanders are primarily men. Now they're getting, there's more and more women getting in there. And so when you have this short female in uniform and there's a bunch of tall, very... Very, uh, how do I say that? Very direct and very strong, assertive, very, very assertive, assertive presence men, in the right. room, and yeah. you have an objection right. to a statement, and they're like, um, "Excuse me, who said that?" And you're like, um, "Sir, I object. I don't agree." Oh, you don't agree. But if it's a male or somebody else, they're like, "Sure, bring it to the table. What do you have?" And you're like. Why do you agree, Sergeant Cornejo? Why do you disagree, Sergeant Cornejo? Well, and of course, I've got all my facts and everything. So okay. I can't just say, I disagree. I have to say, I disagree because this, 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 and this. And then they have respect because you actually bring something to the table. But it's been a little tougher for women, but not anymore. It's getting a little bit easier. So it was hard in the beginning. So, so we've been <coughs> studying about having discussions with people and making sure that we have our evidence so that we can be collegial, we can talk to one another in a way where we're sharpening one another and pressing one another to, to better things, to excel. So I, I'm curious, did you go through the exact same training as all those men? I did. Okay, hold on. Did everybody understand that? So even though... Mrs. Cornejo said she has to really push those men and say, I know what I'm talking about. I have my evidence. So you received the same training. You performed the same way those men did. Yes. And yet sometimes you feel like maybe they're you not gotta, listening exactly. Yeah, you got to be a little bit more stronger. I mean, hmm. I don't know if anybody knows about basic training and the drills that you have to go through, but you actually have to learn how to shoot a live M16. You have to learn how to low crawl so that if enemy fire is coming at you, you have to be this low on the ground in order for nothing to touch you. So you're crawling on the floor, you got mud in your face, you're crawl you're jumping up these long walls and you're climbing over, they're throwing a rope at you, and I miss my rope. You only get one, you only get two chances. I'm standing here and you're standing there, you throw me the rope. And my job is to touch that rope, and to and this is a big pool of water, and I had to go, and I had and I missed the rope, so guess what I had to do in my full uniform? Jump. I had to jump in the pool, and get out and grab the rope just to just to pass that. But no, you 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 went through the same training as any other person. So it's kind of like American Ninja Warrior. Oh, it was yeah. with like, mud, yeah. with mud and dirt and people shouting and at you. Right? A fifty pounds. Fifty pounds book bag with all of your dry clothes, your food, your water, extra pair of boots, and your chemical warfare gear. So your mask. Oh, you had your mask on too. You, I didn't have to oh, have my mask on. Okay. That was in my oh, gear. Okay. So then you have to ruck, you have to do this for a week in the field, you have to live for a week in the field. 
So they have to, that's practice. Do you understand, guys? So that's yeah. because in a real war zone, she may have to do all of those things. So let's think about, okay, we just studied, or we're starting to actually get into, but we just, we were uh, talking about Lewis and Clark. Mm -hmm. um, we just saw a concert, and we've heard two presentations now. And one of the things we noticed is that with the core of discovery, there was a woman who was present that probably saved the lives of all those men a number of times, translating, as she did. There was an African slave that was owned by the captain, and the important thing that we're realizing is that in the military, it's actually a place that, you know, I, you can't, you're, you're depending on someone else for your life. Mm -hmm. And so, if I need this person for my life, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether they're a man or a woman, whether they're Caucasian, mm -hmm. whether they're Latina, whether they're Native American, whether they're African American, it doesn't matter because the military helps us see that, hey, you know what, we're all part of this country. And we actually, even though we may squabble as civilians, when it comes down to it, we need each other. So in our training, in our training, we're taught to do a four-man carry. So we have to do something like this. <laughs> and we have to take her out of the field. Okay, listeners, right now there's a small child being carried on the shoulders and then of our veteran here. We are trained to... Everybody is trained to be a soldier first, so we're trained to, like he was, like you're Soldier like, first. Soldier Explain first. That. So Mr. Baker says that everybody has a partner. Those are what we call our wingman. So if I'm in battle and I'm down, she's treating me. She's, she's treating my wounds. She's treating me. So we're trained to do CPR, stitches if we have to. Oh. I've done them before. So it's, it's pretty cool. I think okay. I'm going to open some more questions up, and then maybe based on some of these, if, if that's okay with I'm you, okay with uh, I've got a question here in the corner. Um, what was the scariest thing that ever happened in the 24 years? Oh, wow. lots of scary things, but I think the scariest for me was when we were on a humanitarian assignment doing dental work, the kids, from what I understand, never seen toothbrushes. Mm -hmm. So... Before we left, I grabbed a huge bag of tr a trash bag full of toothbrushes, and you know toothbrushes can be really colorful, black, red. You know they're fun; mm -hmm. they look like toys. Mm -hmm. So I'm my job was to hand out toothbrushes. So over there, they don't have order. They saw color; they thought it was toys, so they rushed me. Talking mm -hmm. about hundreds of people were like, "The toys are here," and I said. No! And so, this really tall, big soldier friend of mine, he was a police officer, military police, he grabs me like this, throws me on the helicopter, because it literally was that drastic. And you think it's like, oh, that would have been cool. No. So I grab, I'm like Santa Claus, I grab my trash bag full of wonderful color toothbrushes, and I, got, I get my, head, my, um, my headphones on, and they tell me, Drop it from the air. I'm like, drop it from the air. They're like, um, so we're like this far off the, the, the helicopter. We're ready to go. You know, that was the last thing. I get toothbrushes and we're ready to go. So I had this really cool picture, and if I find it, I will show it to you, yeah. where I'm like this over the helicopter, and there's a hundred little hands reaching for the one tooth, toothbrush because they thought it was toys. So then I get up, 
we're about this far off the ground, and I just dump it, and you just uh. saw, whoop, and then whoop, that was it. They were gone within two seconds. Every kid managed to get a toothbrush, but it was scary. That was scary. So as we think about that, do you understand what Ms. Corneo is saying is, so in places where people are desperate, they don't have those kinds of resources, oftentimes there's no rule of law, okay? So things aren't orderly. So when someone saw a resource, they just went for it. And so she was almost buried underneath all these children. She actually could have been harmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still pretty cool she was able to get those toothbrushes So really, out. really quickly, we yep. went back the next day to do more treatment, and everybody stuck the toothbrushes in the ground with the, the toothbrush head in the ground. They made a soccer field out of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> is that because they didn't know? Or they didn't is know it, what to do with it. They didn't know because they were toys. Yeah, wow. they were like, those are toys, so there was lines of toothbrushes. <laughs> did, you, did you have to go back and get more? I did not. You did? Yeah, I, I was, was going to say, after that first that. episode. Okay, I think we're going to go over here. Right. Go ahead. Um, what was one of the best? So that was one of the more frightening, so give us okay, one of the so best. Okay, so the best, yeah. I think, when we went to Australia. Okay. So we were in Australia, and we were playing with the kangaroos and all the fun little animals that they have there, and we just got to see some of the most amazing things. We've been all over the world, and it's so much fun. So I think that was probably the most amazing. And the only reason I'd say that was one of my best experiences is because I was in charge of 50 men. Oh, I was in charge of 50 men. Yeah. Now, tell us about your rank then. So what does that mean you were in charge? How does so, that work? So the stripes, and do you guys notice she's wearing? Yeah. So you notice how the arrows go up, mm-hmm. and then they yeah. also go down? Okay, can you explain that? what that so means? So this rank right here, I was told not too long ago, because sometimes you take it for granted what was going on, but this is one of the highest ranks in the Air Force. So only 1% of the, of the military population actually reaches this rank. Okay, so 1%. That means... Okay, there's 20, 22 of you. 10% would be 2. 1% would be less than... It would be a part of you, okay? So that's a very... <laughs> so how many out of all the Air Force, do you know how many, how many people actually is? Like 1%. 1% is probably about maybe 1,000 of us with this rank. So it's it's pretty it's it's pretty significant. So you, with that, you get a lot of responsibility, and so when you're put in charge of men, a female, they're like, "What are you asking us to do?" Well, kind of asking you to do your job, and so you have to be their managers, you have to be their bosses, you have to tell them yes and no. So yeah. And how long have women actually been able to serve actively? Maybe, well, the Air Force has just turned 48, 47, so probably about 40 of those years. I mean, we were the Army Air Corps before, so there weren't very many women except for, like, nurses and stuff like that. So I'm not really sure. That's a good question. Okay. Go over here. John, go ahead. What did you do when you trained with the M16? What did you do when you trained? Well, um, being, uh, I had no idea about weapons at that time. I was only 17 years old when I picked my first one up. You have to learn, you have to lay down, and you have to position it right here so that it, so that when you aim, you aim well. And I hit the first, I hit the first trigger and it hit my face because it was so heavy. I wasn't, I wasn't trained properly on how to hold it or I wasn't listening. Because they trained us well. I just wasn't listening. So when I pulled the trigger, it went like, you know. And then 
so yeah, so that's what I had to do. I had to learn how to lay down with it. I had to learn how to hold it right here, and I had to learn how to position it with my cheek and my shoulder to be able to get a good aim. And it weighs about, is it 10 pounds? It's about 10 pounds, and you have to learn how to put that thing together and clean it in within two minutes. So you're like, you know, because that's what you do in war. You don't have some, time out. Hey, hold on a second. Let's clean this out. Like, oh, I'm frustrated. You have to pay attention because it, it, it is a matter of life or death. Does everyone understand? Did everybody not. hear that? Life and death. So that's why when we say follow directions the yes. first time we're given and you say that is so annoying, and I say, but we're preparing you. Yes. For a life of service, because there are times when it's critical that you listen and you follow the first time. Coming over here, I think. Um, what was the hardest thing to do in training? I would say just the, the physical exercise of training, just getting up, getting up every day at 3 o'clock. Getting your breakfast, you got, you know, we had to run first, and then we had to press our clothes, then we had to shine our boots. And then we were running again, and then we're doing drills. So I think that was it, I mean, just just the physical aspect. I mean, it was, you guys have PE like yeah. 20 minutes the a day. The pacer. So think of the pacer every day. Uh, doing the pacer every day. Two oh, times a day. Yeah, two yeah. times. Two oh, times yeah. a day. So the pacer two times a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more, and I think we'll yeah. conclude here. Go ahead. You can't tell. Okay. What was your, what was one of your favorite country so I've been to okay so I wouldn't say country is my favorite my favorite country was my favorite um, continent was Australia that was probably my favorite but the best place I've ever been to is Hawaii we had so much fun in Hawaii alright I think we're going to so we can talk to a, um, our other guest veteran. But thank you so much, You're welcome. Sergeant Corneo. This is uh, this is great. And we'll be we'll be putting this up soon, and I'll let you know. Okay. Thanks for your thank you for your service, and thank you for your example. We talk, you know, we say as Clayton students, we educate, we inspire, and we empower. And you're doing that for us by being here. So thank, thank you. you very